All right, everybody, we're about to start another week here. It is Monday, August 14th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts, and we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. It's just going to be me today. Jill has the day off. I'm recording this pod from our offices at WeWork. We recently moved in here and have been loving our new space. WeWorks are available all over the country. You have an opportunity to rent a desk or rent longer-term offices for several uh, employees. They have a special deal right now for Mo News listeners, offering 20% off your first six months of WeWork All Access. The code is MoWorks20 over at WeWork.com. Again, MoWorks20. The details are in the show notes. All right, let's get started here with today's headlines. We'll have an update on that desperate situation in Hawaii, where the death toll from the wildfires has now reached nearly 100, making it America's deadliest wildfire in modern history. We're also checking in on 2024 politics, where the candidates were fanned out in Iowa over the weekend looking for votes. And that all comes as former President Trump may be indicted for a fourth time this week. We'll have a couple updates from the West Coast. San Francisco is allowing even more driverless cars on the roads. We'll let you in on that debate. Meanwhile, in Southern California, there's been a rise in smash and grab mass robberies. A couple major ones in just the last few days. Congress may be taking up the issue of sunscreen in the coming months, looking into why Americans can't get the same level of sunscreen as the rest of the world. The Hollywood writers and the studios met on Friday, and it looks like things are progressing. We'll have an update on that strike. Mark Zuckerberg says it's time to move on from the hope that he and Elon would actually have a fight, a literal fight, cage match. We'll have an update on what Mark Zuckerberg is saying about Elon Musk. Down under, the Women's World Cup is down to four teams. And I will conclude, as always, with On This Day in History. Well, let's get started here in Hawaii, where locals mourn the dead and prayed for the missing over the weekend as communities there begin to look ahead to a very, very long recovery from last week's wildfire. The Maui fires are now the deadliest in modern American history, with the death toll approaching 100. Locals say this will be the worst natural disaster in state history. Hawaii Governor Josh Green warned the number of deaths will continue to rise as crews with cadaver dogs make their way through burned-out structures. The Maui police chief said over the weekend that cadaver dogs have only searched about 3% of the hardest-hit areas and have asked those with missing loved ones to provide DNA samples at a county resource center. They still have hundreds and hundreds of homes to go through. Hundreds are still missing. And the lack of power and phone communications across parts of the island is making it challenging still to this day to get in touch with loved ones. The governor acknowledged the unimaginable scope here of the tragedy, saying people are understandably stunned and added that the days and weeks ahead will be hard. As I mentioned, they're looking for people to submit DNA samples to help identify remains. The governor warned that the identification process will be slow due to how badly many victims are burned. As of Sunday, only two of the 93 victims had been identified. The pace of the search is contributing to frustration among Maui residents, already angered by local authorities' failure to activate warning sirens as the fire sped through Lahaina last week and a sense that official relief efforts have been sluggish. Across West Maui, people have banded together to provide shelter, food, fuel, and other resources for those left homeless. Authorities there still don't know the cause, and it is looking like it could be months before we get exact, complete answers here. The state attorney general has opened up a comprehensive review of what happened, though residents have been pointing the finger at the state's utility company, Hawaiian Electric. 
Four days before the fires began, weather forecasters had warned authorities that the high winds could bring down power lines and trigger fires. So Hawaiian Electric at the time responded with some preemptive steps, but stopped short of actually shutting down power to parts of the island. That would have been the safest measure, shutting off the power lines that could have been put in place to avoid this situation, but always controversial because cutting off power itself is something that people complain about. Over the weekend, two residents already filed a lawsuit against the power company saying they didn't do enough. What we do know right now is the rapid spread of the flames across the island was fueled by low humidity and strong winds. Hurricane Dora was passing several hundred miles to the south, which was kicking up 60 to 70 mile per hour winds on the island. And it came as the island has been facing a drought as well. Another issue the residents are bringing up, the sirens on the island did not go off. Now, these are sirens that are used to deal with a tsunami and a whole bunch of threats, but they were not turned on to alert folks to the rapidly spreading fire. Also last week, several emergency officials from Maui were off the island at the time, visiting other islands, reinforcing the lackluster response here. Now fast forward here, Lahaina, which has more than 10,000 residents, now effectively uninhabitable, leaving thousands needing shelter. The Hawaiian authorities say they do not have enough places to keep everybody, so they are looking to figure out where to put people, including hotels, and potentially, at least in the meantime, uh, facilities with cots. Now, a number of you have been asking about the state and federal response here. There's coordination happening, but keep in mind the way disaster response works in the U.S. is it's a federal system. So the state and local are in charge, and they ask for help from the feds. And the president did declare it a disaster area last week, which means that has opened the door to FEMA, the Coast Guard, the Marines, the Department of Transportation, a whole number of organizations from the federal government helping the state here. The issue with Hawaii, it's five hours away from the West Coast. So coordinating the response, getting the supplies in is taking a while. That said, not quick enough for residents on the ground there who need water, who need food, who need shelter. And that has made for a lot of fights and frustrations in the past few days. Keep in mind, also, local authorities in Maui are not allowing residents back into Lahaina, which is a disaster zone right now for their own safety, which, again, is frustrating survivors there. We'll keep you up to date on this podcast in the Mo newsletter, as well as on the Mo News Instagram feed throughout the week. All right, now to presidential politics, where all eyes were on the Iowa State Fair this weekend, as everyone from former President Trump to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former VP Mike Pence, and others were talking to voters, grilling pork chops, taking pictures with life-size sculpted butter cows. Yes, that's a thing at the Iowa State Fair. And at least one candidate was rapping some Eminem songs. That last thing took us all by surprise. Uh, it was youngest GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. He is the uh, token millennial in the field, 38 years old, talking about the need for Republicans and the nation to elect a new generation. Well, after answering voter questions, he decided to sing Lose Yourself by Eminem to a crowd of Iowa voters. Here's a bit of it. When you wrote down the whole crowd, <laughs> the whole business now, but the words won't come out. Ramaswamy apparently was talking about how Lose Yourself is his favorite walk-up song and decided to actually sing a few lines there for the crowd. We'll see how it plays in Iowa, where he's currently in single digits. 
That said, Iowa is serious about its politics. It's the first state to vote with its caucuses next January. Polls right now show former President Trump dominating the polls there. That's why it's getting increasingly urgent for competitors to show they can compete there, whether it was Santa's grilling pork chops or Ramaswamy rapping there. The next big event in the Republican presidential field is the first debate that happens on August 23rd next week in Milwaukee. Right now, eight candidates have qualified. Seven will definitely be attending. Trump is the big question mark. Does he actually attend the debate or does he skip it given how far ahead of the field he is? Staying with Trump, though, we're going to be watching legal developments this week as he may receive his fourth indictment in five months This one would come in Georgia. That's where Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis is expected to seek election interference charges against the former president and potentially more than a dozen other individuals in his orbit. She is headed before a grand jury in the coming days. This all has to do with the efforts, which the DA believes were illegal, by the president and the people around him to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia. You might recall the phone calls former President Trump made to the former governor, to the secretary of state, and other Republican officials to find him enough votes to win. Now, these were phone calls made after all the votes were counted, recounted, recounted again, and certified the president at the time calling saying, find me the votes to win in the state. The Trump team also organized a slate of fake electors to push forward the agenda that he won. And there's one other element to this case that you guys should all be on the lookout for. The DA is looking into a breach into voting systems in Coffee County, Georgia. Now, this is a county where Trump had already won by about 70%. Nonetheless, there are multiple reports that authorities in Georgia have gathered enough evidence to indicate that there was a top-down push by Trump's team to access and hack sensitive voting software. The attempt to access the voting systems after the election was part of a broader push to produce evidence that could back up former President Trump's claim that there was widespread fraud. So the Georgia developments is something we'll have to watch. Keep in mind, that would be another state indictment that would come on top of the New York state indictment related to Stormy Daniels and the hush money payments. And then there's the two federal indictments from Jack Smith related to federal election interference related to January 6th and the lead up to January 6th. And then separately, the classified documents indictment down in Florida. All right, we have a lot more coming up in this podcast, including today's speed read. But first, a bit from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I'm really pumped to have them on board right now, given how much we talk about the importance of mental health on this podcast. Getting over that threshold to talk to a therapist can be tough for many people. I know it was for me, depending on how you grow up and the view of therapy, but talking to someone really helps. really allowed me to get through some major blocks, get some clarity on things happening in my life, how to process them, move forward. And so we're so glad to have BetterHelp as a sponsor here at Mo News. Right now, BetterHelp is offering a special deal to the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H, today to get 10% off your first month. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mosh. All right, our next partner here is AG1. Their daily nutritional supplement supports whole body health. I first started drinking AG1 last fall. I've heard it described as nutrition insurance. It ensures you get 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It's just one scoop and a glass of water. 
every morning and you're covered. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion, gut health. Some in the Monus community have told us that it has also helped them with their mood support, boosted energy levels, and you have seen your skin and hair looking healthier. Right now, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You should go right now to drinkag1.com, that is drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. All right, now time for today's speed read. Let's begin in California with a new trend in flash mob thefts. This from the LA Times. A mob of criminals stole up to $100,000 worth of merchandise from the Westfield Topanga Shopping Center in LA on Saturday. Multiple individuals wearing black from head to toe could be seen ransacking a Nordstrom at the mall, carrying duffel bags, purses, and other items past the broken glass on the floor. Multiple videos have been released online by the police department. The police said the crime has left the community with, quote, a loss of feeling safe, adding the LAPD will exhaust all efforts to bring those responsible into custody and seek criminal prosecution. A similar scene unfolded last Tuesday in nearby Glendale, California. That's where police said thieves stole $300,000 worth of property in a bold flash mob burglary that was at an Yves Saint Laurent store. So the way these flash mob burglaries work is it's a large, coordinated group of individuals simultaneously rushing into the store, overwhelming the staff, taking it over, and grabbing as much merchandise as possible. In a statement, the mayor of L.A., Karen Bass, called the incident absolutely unacceptable and that those who committed these acts will be held accountable. California, like many states, has been seeing more of these brazen smash-and-grab robberies in recent years. It was a trend that really saw an increase during the pandemic. Retailers like Target, Walmart, Dollar General, Home Depot have all been talking about increased theft uh, in recent quarters. And that has led to a number of stores using new strategies to combat shoplifting, including shorter store hours, self-servicing locking cabinets, you might know those in cities, smart shopping carts that lock uh, inside the store. And of course, we've told you about some stores uh, in certain cities that have actually shut down. You've seen a few of them in San Francisco, where the theft has gotten to be so much, the stores have just said, let's close up shop. There's also been a lot of criticism from stores and residents alike that city policies in recent years across the country, including in LA and San Francisco, uh, moves towards decriminalization of theft, has incentivized this type of crime with people knowing that they'll likely never serve time for theft. All right, let's stay on the West Coast for this next story, the latest in self-driving cars from NBC News. A battle is brewing in San Francisco over driverless cars. Hundreds of autonomous vehicles have been operating on city streets over the past couple of years. And now, last Thursday, the California Public Utilities Commission voted to let self-driving car companies expand their programs and start charging passengers like taxis. That now means a few hundred driverless cars will be operating in the streets of San Francisco, like taxis, they're operated by two companies, one called Waymo, which is owned by Google, and another one called Cruise, which is a subsidiary of GM. Now, advocates have been saying that driverless cars are safer and more efficient than human-driven cars. They help the visually impaired. They limit harassment from rideshare drivers. This comes as an average of 12 people die a day from auto collisions currently in California. 
On the other side of the argument, critics have been saying that these cars are not ready for prime time. They get confused during extreme weather. Uh, they don't know how to navigate around construction areas or other unpredictable happenings. Uh, there have been cases where people mess with the cars or put cones on the cars, and the cars just don't know how to operate. Emergency responders are among those who've been critical here, saying that these self-driving cars impede them. Uh, there have been dozens of incidents in the last year. Firefighters, in one case, having to break out the window to stop a driverless car from running over a hose while firefighters are trying to put out a blaze. And now there's even more fodder for the debate after that approval on Thursday, because on Saturday night in San Francisco, nearly a dozen robo-taxis stopped in the middle of the street. You might have seen these videos on social media. The driverless cars were clogging up traffic. Well, they were operated by the company I mentioned earlier, Cruise. It's one of the two operators in the Bay Area. And they put out a statement saying that they were suffering from wireless connectivity issues, which caused delays to the cars. They apologized and said that they are working to make sure that never happens again. So don't freak out next time you're in the Bay Area and you see a car coming down the street and no one driving it. All right, a quick Hollywood strike update from Reuters. The TV and film writers represented by the Writers Guild of America are evaluating a counterproposal they received on Friday from the studios that would end the ongoing strike that has now lasted more than 100 days. This is a huge step forward in negotiations. The Writers Guild saying that they're evaluating the offer and will be deliberating it and putting out a response this week. These studios, which includes Netflix, Disney, Fox, and all those major big studios, resumed negotiations with the Writers Guild earlier this month. These were the first talks since the 11,000 writers went on strike in early May. Now, those talks two weeks ago did not go very well, according to multiple reports, but they are saying that the counterproposal offered on Friday was a bit better. TV and film writers are calling for improvements to residuals and pay as the shift to streaming services has meant uh, a lot less pay for writers in this day and age. They're also calling for new rules and regulation on how studios will use artificial intelligence to ensure writers do have jobs in the future. Now, that's just one of the strikes. There's the other strike by the actors, thousands of TV and film actors, over the same issues, pay and AI. The actors' union said last week that they haven't heard from the studios yet. They're still waiting for the studios to reach out to them with a proposal. It appears the studios, for now, are focused on the writers. All right, our next story comes to us from Bloomberg. It's the latest on the proposed cage match between two of the world's richest men, and it appears this thing might not happen after all. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, saying over the weekend that it's, quote, time to move on from speculation that there will ever be a cage match between him and Elon Musk. He wrote on the Threads platform over the weekend, quote, if Elon ever gets serious about a real date and official event, he knows how to reach me. Otherwise, time to move on. I'm going to focus on competing with people who take the sport seriously. The public rivalry between Zuckerberg, who's 39 years old, and Musk, who's 52, intensified after that initial success of Meta's Threads platform back in July. Threads, which is essentially a Twitter copycat, reached 100 million users very quickly, though it has seen a huge drop-off in recent weeks. With that success, Elon challenged Mark to a literal cage match, saying they should have a fight and give the proceeds to charity. And Zuckerberg, who's actually been training in martial arts for several years, uh, Musk has not, uh, said, all right, here are some dates. Let's do this. Well, Musk has not confirmed any of the dates and then posted last week that he was receiving an MRI for his neck and upper back, which may require surgery. So it appears here that Zuckerberg has lost hope here. He says he's taking this seriously and Musk won't commit. 
All right, our next speed read comes to us from the New York Times. They had a great story over the weekend on why U.S. sunscreen is so far behind the rest of the world. Now, while sunscreen is regulated as a cosmetic in major skincare hubs like South Korea, Japan, and across Europe, in the U.S., sunscreen falls under the purview of the FDA. Because sunscreen makes a drug-like claim, namely that can prevent sunburn, decrease the risk of sun cancer, that means that the FDA has power over it. And so the FDA regulates it as an over-the-counter drug. But the issue with the FDA in the U.S. is that it's known for very long delays, and that has meant that a number of active ingredients that are currently being used in Europe still have not gotten approval for years here in the U.S., In fact, the last time the FDA approved new active ingredients for use in sunscreens was more than two decades ago. Currently, there are 14 sunscreen filters approved for use by the FDA, but Europe actually has already approved 30 sunscreen filters. Many sunscreen ingredients that have appeared in foreign-made sunscreens for decades and are favored by consumers for their ease of use are still awaiting approval here. That includes compounds like amyloxate, anzacamine, and octyltriazone. They've all been stuck in the FDA regulatory pipeline for nearly 20 years now. So Congress is looking to get into the act. Uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually wants Congress to deal with the sunscreen issue. They've begun a preliminary early process to examine better procedures for the FDA to ensure that American consumers can get some of these newer products approved. For its part, the FDA says that it is committed to helping facilitate the marketing of sunscreen products that include additional over-the-counter sunscreen active ingredients. But to do so, they rely on the industry to submit the data needed to make safety and effectiveness determinations. Because the FDA is part of the federal government, that falls under the purview of Congress in order to update regulations. There was an update. Uh, In fact, President Obama nearly 10 years ago signed something called the Sunscreen Innovation Act. That gave the FDA five years to approve or deny the use of new sunscreen ingredients. And so that went into effect, but it hasn't helped that much because the FDA is still going back and forth asking for new information from these manufacturers. So for now, if you're interested in some of those new technologies, you do have to look abroad for sunscreen, but it appears Congress uh, is going to be taking a look at that in the coming months. All right, finally now, a sports update from the Women's World Cup. We are down to four teams, and there will be a first-time winner in the Women's World Cup this year. The Australians, who are serving as co-hosts of the tournament, along with New Zealand, have become the first home team since the U.S. to win a quarterfinal. So Australia is in its first semifinal in team history. They'll be facing England on Wednesday for a chance to play in the title game. So that's the matchup on Wednesday, Australia versus England. First up will be Spain taking on Sweden on Tuesday. And then the winner of that game will face the winner of England, Australia. Notably, the U.S. women, who have won four World Cups in the last 30 years, uh, will not be competing. Uh, We told you last week they lost uh, early on in the tournament, their earliest exit in World Cup history. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1935. On this day, FDR signed into law the Social Security Act of 1935. It guaranteed an income for the unemployed and retirees. All right, next up, August 14th, 1945, known as VJ Day. On this day, Japan surrendered unconditionally to end World War II, President Harry Truman announcing the surrender to the world. On this day in 1947, Pakistan became a sovereign state, bringing an end to British rule there. And let's end here with a bit of pop culture history for everybody. The iconic film, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, premiered on this day 48 years ago, August 14th, 1975. 
And a cool music history story to end us here. 38 years ago today, in 1985, Michael Jackson bought the Beatles catalog. So this all started two years earlier in 1983 as former Beatle Paul McCartney was collaborating with Michael Jackson. And he suggested to Jackson that he should start investing some of his wealth in music publishing. It was sound financial advice, but one that McCartney would end up coming to regret because just two years later, Jackson would outbid McCartney himself for the entire Beatles catalog for just about $47 million. So McCartney was kicking himself there. Well, just over 20 years later, Michael Jackson had an overspending problem, had legal issues, and would need to sell the catalog himself, which he did. So he began by selling half of it in 2008 to Sony for about $100 million. And then just after Jackson's death, Sony bought the rest of the Beatles catalog for several hundred million more. The Beatles catalog now worth more than a billion dollars. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It'll make you look smart. We hope to give you good nuggets of knowledge to start your day every day. Also, please be sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast wherever you get this podcast. You can usually do it up there in the upper right corner or upper left corner on whatever app you're on. It will ensure that you won't miss a single episode. And thanks to all of you who are joining Mo News Premium. We did a deeper dive into that sunscreen story over on the premium Instagram account over the weekend. So you can check that out over at mo.news. Right now we're offering a free month with the code Mo News Trial to join Mo News Premium. It'll give you access to an extra podcast, that Instagram account, and know that you're supporting what we're doing here at Mo News so we can keep providing all of the free content to all of you. Again, mo.news slash premium. The free 30 days comes to you with the code Mo News Trial. All right, everyone, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.